Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Give us a subscribe, a follow, a like. You know, we have with us uh, Mike Perry on the show. We're going to do a, a, a quick episode here. Nothing crazy. We're, uh, we're going to discuss uh, some fun, fairly recent topics in the, on the internets. Um, yeah, let's just dive right into it here. Mike, uh, thanks for, first of all, thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Who is, who is Cal Newport? He's only my idol in every way possible. So you worship this man. Is that what you're saying? That's pretty much exactly what I'm saying. Wow. I just didn't want to be so clear about it. No, he's like, I don't know how old he is. I think he's in his forties. I don't know that much about him. I just like his books. He's a big productivity author on the New York Times bestseller list several times. He's I I got into his book because of somebody else's some syn- syntax FM their podcast taught, mentioned him and you mentioned him in passing one time, but it didn't fully register until I started reading him and I thought, oh yeah, I think Dow mentioned this guy. So I've been reading his books. I read Deep Work. I read Digital Minimalism, and I'm almost finished with A World Without Email. Yeah. Uh, Cal Newport is a PhD, lives in Washington, D.C. He is a writer, assistant professor of computer science at Georgetown. Um, He's authored several of these books, all of which you've just mentioned, or not all of them, but but you've just uh, mentioned. And he uh, he has his own blog. Um, and then uh, written a couple of other books. I don't think that you've mentioned the kind of unconventional advice specifically targeting students. And he also runs a, a, a website, Study Hacks. I think that's actually the blog that we're talking about. Study Hacks, Decoding Patterns of Success. So I think his overall topic is about productivity, like you were saying. Um, yeah, his latest book, A World Without Email. Um, so of the ones that you've read or are currently reading, which, uh, which ones are standing out to you, I guess? What is he, what is he preaching about? Well, I guess... He, he's got several, it's layers. He's kind of got several layers. So at the, at the surface, you could think of it as just some ideas for improving your productivity at work. And I think, I think that would be deep work. You know, he has a, a questions, a podcast called deep questions that he, uh, he asks for readers to submit questions and, I haven't yet asked any questions because I'm too scared. But he has what, like... What questions do you have? I, I don't know. 
mostly I would love it if he just like came in and consulted at my work place for three days or something. But I don't think he does that. Plus, it'd be way too expensive. <coughs> but, you know, I think at the surface, it's kind of like, how can I be more productive with my time? But then as you dig a little deeper, it becomes more like, well, the root cause of why you are so distracted and why you're not able to focus very well and why you're not very productive with your time is because you're consuming the mental equivalent of junk food all the time, you know? And so he, he relates junk food like a, a marathon runner wouldn't eat junk food. You know, they don't eat Doritos. He's always saying, and, and similarly a mental athlete or somebody who gets paid to, for their knowledge work, those, those people don't, uh, they don't eat junk food. They don't get on social media and flip through, just keep thumbing through a bunch of nonsensical things. They don't get on YouTube and just start keep clicking videos after video after video and just kind of, you know, just vegging out basically mentally. So that's where you kind of drift from deep work into digital minimalism because it's, it's the idea that the phone in your pocket is a, basically a, he, he calls it a slot machine in your pocket. Uh, he doesn't really call it that. I guess that's Tristan, Tristan, somebody else, but uh, he, t- he mentions that in, in digital minimalism. And he, he talks a lot in digital minimalism about, he spends some time talking about uh, the Amish. And how a lot of people have a different kind of some misunderstandings about the Amish culture and people, but basically the Amish are essentially minimalists. So they, they, they have like a council that decides when there's a new technology, whether or not they're going to bring it into their community. And they have some core values of like, uh, does this help our community stay a community or does it divide us and separate us? So Anyway, why does uh, I mean you've read a couple of his books now? Obviously, what what is it about this uh, digital minimalism, or just minimalism in general, or maybe production techniques? Why does why does this appeal to you? I mean, like what? Why do you like it, or why why is it pulling you in? Well, because it it instantly applies to me. I mean, I'm a computer scientist working in a knowledge work industry, and I feel myself, I feel all of these uh, forces pulling my attention all these different ways, and I find it difficult on a daily basis to focus on one thing and accomplish that one task that produces value to my workplace, to my company. Yeah, the uh, the attention market. Attention I've heard market, it. Yeah, yeah the attention, attention market industry, where we capitalize on people's attention as long as we got. Yeah, I can I can see what he's. Um, well, maybe not Cal, but the other uh, uh, Tristan. I think you reference. It's just a slot Tom machine. Harris. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can take any number of social media 
aspects, right? I mean, cal- uh, Instagram is the one that pops up to me when you say slot machines. I mean, it's literally, you, I mean, within a, a certain range, you know, because I've selected who I'm following on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. So within that range, though, it's totally a slot machine. I mean, it's, I, I just start scrolling. I have no idea what's coming. I have no idea. And, and no here idea I am scrolling for some unknown reason. I mean, that it just takes away, um, as you were mentioning, or as you were talking about it, it got me thinking, it's like the Amish, they have a council and it's like, oh, are we going to accept this technology? And, you know, because essentially it's like, I'm, we're, we're making more and more of our decisions with intentionality. Whereas yeah. in the last 15, 10, 15 years, you know, this huge rise of intention of the attention market and, you know, cell phones, apps, all that jazz. Uh, we're losing a lot mm-hmm. of our intentionality. I mean, I'm sitting here scrolling through Instagram and I look up and look at my, you know, check the time and it's been, you know, three hours. <laughs> yes. Okay. That might be a little extreme, but maybe not for some, mm-hmm. in some maybe, cases, maybe but, and, and like, what have I actually accomplished or done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe uh, taking back control of our decisions, taking, you know, more intentionality in our, in our own lives. Um, yeah. Is that, that intention? Why is that important for you? Well, I mean, personally in your own life, why is that important? Well, because there's a handful of, if I sit down, if I force myself to focus on this long enough, If I sit down and say, what's the things that are most important to me in my life? Like what has been the most important to me in the last 10 years? What's the most important to me over the next 10 years? Then it boils down to like a handful of things. And that is uh, my relationships with my loved ones, like my wife and baby and, and then my brother and my parents. And like, so family, family relations, and then personal development, like skills, like learning new things, increasing in knowledge, increasing in skill with music, playing the piano, playing the drums, um, heck, skateboarding, exercising, staying in shape, keeping my body in some sort of better shape than round round is a shape technically um yeah you're describing essentially uh, well almost every facet of our of our lives yeah well so to close the gap that's you're saying wait what was your original question (laughs) just uh why is it important? Yeah, why is it important in you personally? I mean, obviously, yeah. the the other question is why is it important for society? What what Cal Newport is is spousing or or can, you know why is that important for society? But but what I'm wondering is why is it important for you personally? Yeah, well, so so that's it. I mean, so if I look at the most important things in my life, and then I I write those down. It's like three things, four things. I just listed them, right? Family, exercise, uh, personal development. Okay. So, three things. But then if I were to to weigh that those three things against a ledger of my time, the the ledger of my life, like, oh, you know, I woke up at uh, eight o'clock AM, I went to work, got home at five, then I sat down on the couch and watched YouTube for one and a half hours. And then I flipped through my phone, you know, for another hour. And then 
I talked with my wife for 30 minutes and then I went to sleep. So something like that. I just made that up on the spot, but like, sure. If that's the, if that's my day, then what that really means is I didn't, I obviously don't value relationships, exercise, or um, per personal development. It seems like what I really value is YouTube, my phone, and uh, maybe the relationship with my wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If you directly translate your time over to value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah right. Right. So um, that to me is where it's important. It's like, all right, I'm not going to let my day get hijacked by all the things all the technology that wants my attention because it's easy to give it my attention. I'm going to be intentional about my day. I'm going to be intentional, intentional with my time. And I'm, I'm in charge of my schedule. I'm in charge of who gets my attention and to be uh, intentional about that, to be diligent about that. And that's where all of what Cal Newport is saying just resonates big time with me. Um. I've got one final question here on on Cal Newport, and then I wanted to talk about a couple other things also. But why, or would you? I guess would you recommend Cal Newport, and and why would you recommend what he's? Why would you recommend his his tenants, if you will? Well, I would recommend him simply because he's one of relatively few voices who are saying that social media is really bad for your brain when a lot of other voices are either saying, eh, I don't care, or it doesn't matter. Or like, uh, you know, you have Facebook coming out with studies that's, that are just saying, no, 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 our product isn't all that bad. Like, it's great. It actually brings people together. It's like, eh, that's not what I think most people intuitively know to be true about it. Um, I would recommend him for people who are in the knowledge work sector because that's what his primary focus is, is getting you to take control back over your, your workflow and your time and, and also increasing your productivity all around. Like World Without Email is all about pretty much the workplace and workflows. Knowledge workers. Knowledge workers, workflow, yeah. Streamlining their, their knowledge or excuse me, streamlining their uh, productivity. Mm -hmm. So he's not for everybody for sure. Yeah. Um, with the advent of social media, obviously, and, and just scrolling, you know, like we do, it, obviously this segues into in the next topic is just privacy. Yeah. In general, right? I mean, privacy, online privacy. I mean, it used to be, you know, uh, the uh, the public forum wasn't so one wasn't so easily accessible by literally everyone, and it also kind of had its uh, intrinsic standards. In other words, like most people speaking in any kind of public forum that we used to have you know, would have been, would have had some kind of credentials, um, you know, uh, some kind of studying history, uh, you know, specialization that was well known. Oh, you know, so-and-so went to 
such and such university and studied such and such topic and and wrote this that and the other book right and that's then we we invite that person into our public forum and they start talking about whatever topic and now it's it, now we've everybody's got a microphone essentially and so anybody can talk about anything at any time and so that essentially social media right i mean we can we can discuss all kinds of things but that translates into now you know our private lives aren't so private anymore they're so more public what's uh what are your thoughts on these things here privacy and well terrifies me how much of our information is out for all kinds of people to see and comb through and we really as ordinary people you know, you, you get onto a website and you log in and you do some things with uh, perhaps your, um, you donate some money somewhere to a charity perhaps. And like everything about what you just did is basically recorded, logged away onto some servers with blinking lights back in the catacombs and back in closets <laughs> and you have no idea really why that data would be valuable to anybody and so you think i don't care yeah that's a common misconception right well i would never do anything with that data yeah so i mean that, that is no, useless. It, it shouldn't occur to anybody else to do anything with that data Exactly. Well, because I haven't thought of it. Nobody else must have thought about it. So it's like, right. so this is the same argument of like, you know, I don't want people spying on me. Well, if you don't have anything to hide, well then and it's like, well, most know, people don't I have know. anything to hide. But I've heard they, that so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you don't have anything, you know, that you need to hide and it's fine. It's like, um, that's not a reason to forfeit your right to privacy. Um, just because you think you don't have anything to hide, but that's, that's not, that's not true. You might think you don't have anything to hide from your boss because you trust them or something. You might you might think you don't have anything to hide from uh, the government because you think the government is above reproach and that they're this awesome entity who's going to take care of you and your family. You might you might think that about things that you, people that you trust, but what about the people you don't trust? You know, like um. It, the slew of other people that you might not think about are also seeing that data. And, oh, that changes things. Like, you know, some lowly employee at Google, who knows? They're well, siphoning like, your data off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, and there's two facets of this, but let's get into it. I mean, what's, I mean, when we initially think about privacy, we think of like nefarious things you know monitoring us so they can track us and then you know target us and you know i'm in a spy movie now and they're gonna kill me because i know too much or something right, right. but then there's the other aspect <laughs> aspect of it where it's like well you know we've been i've been using instagram as an example so i'm scrolling through instagram randomly and here i am at hour six you mm -hmm. know scrolling through instagram and reels right and i've i've double tapped you know a hundred videos mm-hmm 
right? So that that liking video or maybe sending comments or sharing it or whatever, it's being logged, mm-hmm. right? It's being it's being tabulated, if you will. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like uh, yeah. it's like that episode of Loki, right? The first episode, he he goes to the TVA and and he goes into this little bureaucratic dark room and there's this guy with a stack of paper and he's like, please sign here for ver- or confirming that this is everything you've ever said. And he's like, <laughs> what? And then the guy stops and he turns over and you know, you hear the printer going and he pulls out another sheet of paper, meaning he literally just printed out a piece of paper because he said the word what, and then he puts it down. Okay, go ahead and sign this too. So essentially, I mean, that's what's, what's happening. I and mean, we've, we've got so many different aspects of social media i'll give uh, yeah one of these specific examples that was kind of horrifying at the time and i tried to make a joke of it but nobody got it which was even more horrifying is on facebook right you can announce your location well all my cousins they were having a family trip or something and they started posting on facebook oh yeah we're here and such and such so i got on there i was like oh i'm, I'm glad you're all over there i'm i'm, I'm at your house now I'm, I'm stealing all your stuff. And they're all like, you're, you're here. Why didn't you tell us you were coming? And I'm like, Oh boy, you guys totally missed that entire exercise. Yeah, I know. That's, the, that's it. Right. That's the part. That's the part of these applications that you see. I'm not going to pretend to be some like data privacy expert either. Like I'm just a average Joe consumer too. I happen to be working in web development, so I see a lot of it as well, but I'm, I'm no expert. And the thing is, is what you see as a user, like, oh, I'm going to post my location so other people can see it and other people are interacting. And like, you can already see some bad things just with that, but that's the stuff that's, that Facebook's proud to show you. That's the stuff that Facebook's providing to you as a feature, right? But what you don't know is you're not the, you're not the customer, you're the product. So you're not the cut. Cu- you think you're the customer, like, oh, this is fa- this is a service that I sign up for and use. So I'm the customer. Like, hey, f- hey, Facebook, why don't you give us customers some more features? And it's like, no, 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 no. You're the product. So they they go they they deal under uh, on both sides of this. They go, yeah, you guys are our customers. Sure, think that that's great. But then on the other side, they go to the companies and go, hey, I've got ten thousand users who are white males who live in in Provo, Utah, and uh, who are interested in pizza. And the uh, on the other side, they go, so who who is interest who's interested in in marketing to these to this this audience? And so the new pizzerias, I'll go, hey, like we'll we'll pay to advertise our company to those guys. And so they do. And Facebook makes money off of that. And you as the user, you don't. You just are scrolling through your feed thinking you're like getting ads from for that everyone sees. Everyone in the US or something, I don't know. You you're uh and you're thinking you're reading stuff from from your friends. Uh and then you all of a sudden you get this pizza ad, right? And you might think, oh, that's harmless. Plus, I'd like that. I like targeted ads because, you know, it's stuff that actually it's matters to if me. I, if it occurs to me that these ads seem remarkable to my likes. I mean, that's yeah. even if you notice it. That's a, Yeah, exactly. That's even if you're just paying attention that much. But the problem with that is um, that, again, is like the stuff that people imagine their data being used for. 
But what it's also being used for is it's also being used by companies who aren't pizzerias. You know, they're international companies who are just trying to mine information or they are um, government agencies <laughs> or... Thank you, Edward Snowden. Yeah, or they're not any of those. And they're actually somebody who's like uh, hacked Facebook and is and is uh, shipping Facebook's data and all the profile that they've built around all these individual people. And they're shipping it off to their own servers or the dark web. And so your data is like being sold to the highest bidder, you know, and um, what, what, uh, what kind of data are we talking about? Are we talking like metadata? I mean, am I just this faceless piece of information? You know, like when I take an anonymous survey, is it that kind of a thing or is it, is it more personal than that even? Uh, it's pretty personal. It's just depends on your level of interaction with the, uh, with this attention economy, this big system, you know, if you're, I can tell you that if you're, if you're, uh, using all these services and you don't care about your data privacy, or you don't care about using a VPN or, or anything else, then they pretty much have a profile that says everything you've searched for all the places that you go to, even when you're not just using mapping services, it's just like your device will always be telling your location. And um, anything that you have done recently or in the last, since you've been using a smartphone, all that history is part of your profile. How, I mean, obviously the more you interact with with the technology or with different features uh, that this profile of you that, you know, data profile of you is going to be more expansive. But if you're trying to taper off of that, for example, like, I mean, if I'm on my phone, right. And I'm looking for, Oh, you know, where's the, you know, jump on maps where, where you know, where's pizza near me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. So I go there or, or maybe my, you know, my GPS is on, right. And I go to some shop or whatever. And then it comes out, Oh, how was your visit to such and such place? Leave a review, right? right? If I was a lot more interactive with it, then I would say, Oh yeah, I want to leave a review. So I leave a review, you know, and I start doing that and over months and months, years, you know, I mean, we've, you know, and so suddenly that's way more expansive as opposed to, you know, somebody who's, a little less no i don't want to leave a review quit bugging me you know yeah. or, or maybe somebody that's in and out of turning off their different features of their phone or you know they're just less interactive does that even make a difference i don't i don't know i don't think it does because these all these services are built on your device id matched with like your browser fingerprint you know, so like, if, even if I don't even sign in to like, you know, Google Chrome, right? Google Chrome has, you can sign in and you can have your Google account as part of your browsing experience. And you can be on your work machine, your home machine, your 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 mobile, and you're all signed into the same Google Chrome uh, profile and you, you get to share your history, right? Back and forth. And you get to share your favorites and your bookmarks and stuff like that. And if you're using the password management features of Chrome, 
Google Chrome, then you're, you're getting that experience too. And it, you might be thinking, this is great. And, but you might also be queued up, queued off to the fact that, oh, the, like my history is being tracked with Google. So you might think, oh, I'll just like get rid of all that. Like I'm going to stop using Google Chrome uh, profiles on all my accounts. And that way, you know, these trackers won't know that it's me on my phone anymore or that it's me at work. They'll think that these are three different people. <clears throat> but that's really not the case either because they're, they, you tend to do the same things. Um, you, you tend to interact with the internet the same, whether you're at home or at work or on your mobile. And, you know, little things like how you read a web page, that pattern of skipping around or taking links or um, all what the little links are, are interesting or yeah. links are interesting. All that is part of, you know, all that data is tracked and it all gets crunched by an AI who then spits out, this is this pattern. This Then this pattern matches this profile. So it's most likely that dude, that kind of stuff is happening. And uh, <clears throat> so you, it's not, it doesn't really matter whether or not you're signed into the account in Google Maps. Uh, if you're using Google Maps, then it's it pretty much knows it's you even if you're not signed in. Because I know that Mike Perry goes to work and then he goes to this you know hot dog stand and then he walks over and goes on a walk around the building before going back in. Like it's that guy. I know it's him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, is there all of this is, you know, obviously discouraging. So it's like, well, what is there even is it even worth trying trying to protect my privacy? I mean, how do I go about that? Obviously Google is as we and that's the thing. It's like an open secret almost. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, Google's one of the worst offenders, obviously. Right. I mean, is there any hope, <laughs> if you will, of actually trying to have a modicum of of actual privacy without yeah. your data? I mean, where I mean, maybe break up well, I mean, you tell me what where should we be should we be looking? Or what should how can we mitigate some of this invasion of privacy? <clears throat> Well, <laughs> this is sounds like I'm some sort of expert on this. I'm really not. You are the I'm expert, just, son. Gosh dang. I'm just, I'm just a guy who's like reading articles and I'm concerned and I have just enough knowledge about computers to to make it seem like I'm an expert, I guess. But like, Yeah, perfect. I mean, you're like 85% of the internet. Yeah. Everybody who's got a mic is an expert just because I have an opinion. I'm now an, I'm now an expert. This is the internet. Well, this is I the think modern that, internet. The, probably the best thing is that everybody's getting more aware of it nowadays. Well, like Apple refused or rather refused on the grounds that they physically, they, they literally could not unlock a phone. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was that case yeah. in California a few years ago. Yep. It was terrorists killed people. Yeah. And the FBI or somebody wanted to unlock his phone. They're like, we need, we need to get in there. And they're like, okay, well, good luck. I mean, he yeah. locked it. There's nothing we can do. And they're like, well, well, you know, just, 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 uh, you know, backdoor the thing. Yeah. And it was like, well, there is no backdoor. What are you talking about? We, yeah, we literally, I mean, this is divorced from us. It's his product now. It's his, mm -hmm. it's his phone. Mm -hmm. It's not our phone. It's his. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's, I mean. Well, and anybody with who's thinking about this for more than like a Twitter message worth of time, anybody who's thinking about it long enough can see the logical conclusion. You know, if Apple builds a backdoor for the authorities, comma, then uh, nefarious criminals can get a hold of said backdoor, period. Right? Or, or any number of other entities. <laughs> or anyone else. Exactly. Pretty, once you build that backdoor, how valuable is it if I'm a worker at Apple to just ship that product out to the dark web? Like I'll get paid billions. So, oh like, yeah, who's going to resist oh, yeah. that? I mean, oh, forget my retirement or you know whatever with with Apple. I'll just get a job at Apple, figure it out, and then psh, sell it on the dark webs. And exactly. psh, suddenly, I'm set for life. Like and then I can code, quit my Apple job. This code red, like super top secret program that we only give to the government. <laughs> like that's the that's just dumb. It's that's not going to work. You're like so. And that's just me coming up with how it won't work. I'm sure there's like yeah. cryptographically speaking, so many problems with providing a quote unquote backdoor to to Apple's security. And so it's just, yeah. I think I just go ahead, sir. Well, I think that Apple is doing good things for privacy on the privacy front. Yeah. On the privacy front. You can argue, and you would be right about many of other the other things Apple's doing, and it's like oh, that's pretty lame. And you can hate Apple all day, but in in the world of privacy, Apple's an important player because they're drawing awareness to the fact that these big tech companies are what what some of the practices are with data tracking, and they're also funding a lot of technolo technological efforts to protect people's privacy even though they might be using services that are known for tracking them you know so they're starting to, they're they're really contributing to a big community of concerned people who are building stuff that can combat tracking better yeah and i think that's really important so it's cool to see the kind of this uh these like these two camps emerging or rather the privacy concerned camp is now coming to the party, I guess more. And so like there's a speech, you know, out on YouTube of Tim cook speaking to this. Um, I can't even remember what it is, but it's the privacy. It's this big privacy conference and I, his speech. I was like floored. I was like, I agree with everything that guy just said. Like, that's awesome. Give me, give me a, the gist. He was like, we should be developing technology that tells you when you've had enough, not to spend more time on social media. You know, we should be developing technology that, that has privacy at the center and instead of how can we exploit, yeah. yeah, privacy centric rather than how can we exploit this data to our own gain? Like, I don't know. He talked about a lot of stuff. It was really good. 
So essentially, I mean, as far as privacy goes, you probably want to start steering toward, I mean, if, if Apple's going to, you know, stick to their guns in a place that, well, in a current age where everybody just capitulates to everything, right? I mean, Apple, which is arguably one of the huge tech um, behemoths, right? They actually stuck to their, you know, they, they, dug their heels in so to speak yeah. the, the, the federal government's coming out of and it's and it's in def- i mean it, if you want to call about talk about like moral reasons to do it i mean the guy's a terrorist he killed people yeah you know you could easily justify yeah let's look at his phone obviously and i mean they they dug in their heels about it and doubled down on it which is i think that's admirable in, in some respects i mean obviously yeah. they're, they're, i'm sure they've done other nefarious things that we can you know yeah, they're a company, for, but. so they need to be put in check as well. Oh, yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I read other reports about Google who, you know, they totally work with people, work with the government on different requests, subpoenas or whatever for information. And Yeah, they just give it, they just hand it over to whoever's asking. Seems like. So that's not very comforting. But... Um, I don't know. That's a difficult um, sort of modern day ethics question. I think, you know, the, would you steal bread to feed your family? It's like, uh, would you let uh, Google work with your data if it meant they brought criminals to justice or something? Yeah. Well, probably most people would say yes to that, but. uh, Well, that's the typical, uh, you know, never let a, a good crisis go to waste. I mean, cause then you can just argue, okay, well, you know, what have you got to hide? Well, I don't have anything to hide. Well, then you shouldn't have any problem go, letting us do this yeah. thing, you know, yeah. in the name, in the name of, in the name of justice, some, some cool some goodness equality. that we've, we've yeah. made up out of whole cloth, you know, yeah. Oh, we've got to track down terrorists. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, is that actually a thing? I mean, how many terrorists are, you know, in my neighborhood that you need and, and that my yeah. dad is, you know, or I, I don't know. I'm just coming up with some yeah, stupid well, hypothetical. Exactly. But, but that's the basic sort of mm, debate is how, how do you uh, protect citizens domestic and abroad from threats um, without breaching everyone's privacy all the time? This seems to dovetail, and I mean, both of these topics have brought up, you know, kind of a general umbrella of, of minimalism, and then also, you know, a, a well, I guess that's not technically the umbrella. The umbrella would be a uh, a drawing back from all this technology. I mean, you know, phones, internet, texting, you know, all this stuff just like jumped on the scene and just took off, right? And that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but we're starting to see, you know, as time goes by, you know, all these ill effects that are coming about. And then because of these ill effects, and this is what's so great in my mind about the market is we're starting to see this kind of, uh, curtailment market, if you will. Yeah. Like, oh, let's pull back here. Let's, let's reexamine that. Let's, let's invent new technologies that are actually pulling us away from technology kind of yeah. i mean i'm thinking of like uh, for example uh gab wireless i don't know i, I don't mm-hmm. know hardly anything about them at all other than their cell phones that are geared for parents who are very concerned about uh the screen time 
of, mm-hmm. of their children, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I have a coworker who, uh, you know, she just, she'll just turn on YouTube on her cell phone and hand it to her, her, uh, three-year-old, four-year-old son and be like, you know, go away. It's a mo- mode of entertainment. So suddenly now the kid, you know, and if she keeps that habit up, I mean, suddenly this is a kid now who's been raised on literally whatever YouTube's spitting out at him. Yep. For however many hours, you know, she's doing that. So she's like scary. It's so, yeah, I know. Cause um, that's what I think about too, is like, how can you raise a kid in this environment? Yeah, exactly. This curtailing thing, this di- digital minimalism. So speaking of kids, you, uh, you have a daughter yeah. And a young toddler there and another one on the way. Yes. How is uh how is that going? It's going really well. Everybody's super healthy. Which is fantastic, obviously. Yeah. The one is uh highly mobile now, I believe, starting or is is walking. And uh, you know, most parents I understand know about the destruction that this mobility then permits. Yes, she's she's talking right now. If you can hear her, she just got up from a nap. She's yep, pretty she much um, just got mobile like two weeks ago. Well, not really. Like she's walking as of pretty much two weeks ago, maybe a little more. It's been a slow process, really, but now she's like walking 70% of the time and crawling 30% or something like that. And it's pretty rad because now she doesn't get her pants all dirty and holy, but she uh, gets into things quicker. So like she can be all of a sudden, you'll be downstairs doing dishes and it's like, oh man, where's Lydia? And like, she's upstairs in my office, like hitting things with drumsticks. <laughs> it's like, oh, crud, that was really fast. Technology and violence, not good bedfellows. I mean, <laughs> so I don't know. I was just talking with Tiffany about, I think it was a couple of days ago, just about like, what's our policy going to be with phones and technology? And we always toss around a different handful of ideas and don't really have any good answers. We end up just being, we end up concluding with, well, it depends on the kid. We really don't know what rules or policies to put in place until we know which, how the kid interacts with it because I mean, they have a video game thing where they just love playing video games and we got to figure out a way to curtail that but it could be social media you know maybe it's tiff gets a social media account and they have to be friends with them or you know i don't know oh yeah there's all kinds of stuff i mean there's you hear so horror many, stories yeah. about teenagers doing workarounds opening multiple accounts so i, I can do whatever i want to do and etc 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 and i i think about you know with our generation anyway i mean we kind of straddled the fence between yep you know being raised by the generation that did not have all this technology and then but also growing up uh, you know at least 
well, coming of age right before or right during the beginning of all of this technology. So, you know, I mean, I personally, I, I didn't see a cell phone until I was, geez, 20 or 21. Exactly. I'd never even, I mean, I, I'd heard of them, but they were these that, large, that clunky like things. Phone, right? right, exactly. A brick, you know, Nokia mm-hmm. with their fantastic thing. The battery life was amazing. It was amazing. It was like a whole week. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, and then into that, the, though, then you've got some kids that, you know, grown up and they don't, you know, they, they've never known a time where YouTube didn't exist. And, and that'll especially be the case with your daughter. I mean, yeah, it will. Like tablets, phones, you know, and it's kind of like I've yeah. seen some examples, some parents, they don't, they'll raise their children as though, um, you know, and then this gets into parenting opinions and, I know, and totally. all that garbage, right? I mean, so fast too, because, so as, yeah. Like, for example, my coworker, I adamantly, personally, I adamantly disagree. Like, a four year old should not have access to a cell phone at yeah, all. And it, under, under no circumstances. And of course we always seek to just, well, I need to know, I need them to be able to operate, you know, so I can, I I need to be able to get a hold of them or, you know, whatever. Then what if they need to call me for some reason? Yeah. You always imagine, you always go to the, the, the the craziest horror story of when your kid's going to need to call you. And that's like, that's, it's so unlikely, you know, and what costs do you pay? That's, that's what, to go back to where we started with Cal Newport, that's exactly the case he makes in digital minimalism is, you know, you need to weigh the benefits to the costs here. Like, cause what it's costing you is a lot of attention and attention residue. And, you know, you, you can't focus like so many, so many costs you're incurring just, just to have one extra app on your phone because you think that you need to access this stuff on your phone and right. you, you could easily do it from your PC or something where there's a lot better boundaries with it. Your phone is with you all the time. It's just, it's, it's the, it's the same for kids. I I'm concerned about the kids that are raised in this generation with like so much technology. And I, I don't have any answers because in a way I've been, I've, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I might not have had a cell phone until I was in high school and I didn't have a smartphone until I was 26, but I have been on the internet since I was 12, you know? And if you think about a phone, it's like, Oh yeah, well, it's a phone. It calls people. Well, that's not how people use phones these days. It's a, it's a hand computer. It's a mobile computer. So I've, I've been around computers for a long time. So, you know, is the right answer just, taking taking the hand computers away from kids for as oh, long as possible yeah. i don't know <laughs> i don't know about um yeah i don't know about individual parenting choices i mean that's obviously a uh, individual family choice i i just know that there's justifications that we use for all kinds of stuff i, I remember one of the one of the arguments when i was growing up and technology was like nothing was you know uh, well, they need to be able to know how to how to do stuff. I, I mean, know. this is a technology is. marketplace. They know they need to know how to be able to do stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but how long did it actually take to learn? You know, yeah. I, I mean, it's pretty user intuitive. I mean, is that really a, a legitimate concern to then allow them 
access to this stuff six to eight to 12 hours every day for, for years or, yeah. you know, like I'm thinking of typing, right? Typing is actually a, a legitimate skill. That yeah, that done. Is. Well, I, I had that down in a couple of weeks, if that, yeah. and that was at minimal practice, minimal daily practice. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that, 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 that argument is not to be a total fanboy, Cal Newport, but Cal Newport, he talks about that exact argument, like the teachers advocating for iPads in the classroom. It's like, well, they, they, they got to be able to ride this technological wave. They got to be up and up to speed on it, you know, and the things they assign them are like, you got to put your homework assignment on YouTube. You got to upload your YouTube video and stuff. It's like having kids use these highly polished user interfaces to accomplish these things is not, yeah. that's not helping them to succeed in the technology marketplace. That's helping them to be a consumer in the technology marketplace. What you need to right. be doing is helping the, is giving them assignments where they design or build things. Right. Critical That's, thinking skills. That, yeah, exactly. Using a highly polished user interface to do your work is not helping you learn how to build it. That's like saying taking driver's ed teaches you how to be a mechanic. No. <laughs> That's so true. I, I noticed I've got a, a person at work. She's a, she's younger, and I'm and I say younger just to point out the fact that she's kind of this generation, like grew up at a time where there's never not been technology in her life, and and actually, she's a terrible. Uh, uh, what was that distinction Kirk made? The difference between um, uh, users, computer users. Or production workers and mm, yeah. anyway, my point yeah. is she's terrible at like basic technology, like Microsoft Word. Mm -hmm. Doesn't know how to do stuff. Doesn't know what things mean. Can't seem to find it, which gets into another topic that we had with uh, Aunt Dina. Um, yeah, actually, we're we're creating ADHD students <laughs> or brains. We're rewiring our yeah. brain because it's like, well, I can't really focus on a task for more than, you know, 15 seconds or suddenly I get antsy and I, I've got to go do something else. And it's like, well, the people with the skills, the actual producers in society, you know, they're able to sit down and focus on a given topic for, you know, intense focus for, for hours, a, a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, I recently watched a podcast. Jordan Peterson was interviewing a gentleman. He was a, a accomplished musician and they both kind of agreed. I mean, and I don't know about the other guy, but based on his credentials, I would assume he's kind of in the same realm as far as accomplishment as Jordan Peterson. Mm. And they both kind of came to the consensus that it's about three hours of intense focus on a given task. And then after that, they're kind of kaput. I mean, they yeah. start to get kind of negative returns. Yeah. In other words, like, yes, I can definitely work longer than three hours, but I can't do that every single day. Like the next yeah. day I'm, I'm worthless, but mm -hmm. I can do about three hours and maintain that. And I'm thinking to myself, see, these are the skills. That's the skill you should, we, that our children need. Not, yeah. not, not being able to upload a, uh, a thing to YouTube. Right. I, right. Because I, a lot, one of the, one of the, well, I, I've come up with this saying, or I heard it somewhere or whatever. It's essentially not that you, you don't need to know the answer in our market. You need to know how to get the answer. Yeah. Because how, how long does it take you to figure out how to upload something to YouTube? 
not long. Do you know how to use YouTube? Yes, I do. Okay, well, search for a video about how to upload a video up to YouTube. Boom, you've got thousands at your fingertips. So, so that skill isn't really a justification for access to all this attention stuff. When your attention, yeah. especially in formative years of children, oh my word. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what's so scary about it. Because it's kids. See, your brain is literally forming and making meaning out of the world. And it's just like something just seems off about the early adoption of technology. But I don't see. Yeah. So we start to get the attitude of, well, just tell me the answer. Just tell me the answer. Uh, just tell me the answer. And, and I can't think about how to get the answer some other way or to maybe infer part of the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, this process of learning, this process of figuring things out. Well, mm-hmm. how did you come to this conclusion? Well, I inferred this, this, and this, and then I tested it over here. And that only gave me 25% of the answer I needed. But I took what I, 25% I had, and then I was mm-hmm. able to go and get, you know, 20% more or something. Um, and a lot of these younger ones who are coming into the knowledge field, at least in my observation anyway, they don't necessarily have those skills. Yeah. Much less yeah. even think about it. And they, and they kind of get confused and, and I, I get some, they'll come up and ask me a question like, Hey, what about this? And I'm like, the answer to your question is in your question. Did you not think about this for five minutes or did you even read what little I sent you? I mean, all the answers are in that. And it turns out either they didn't read it or, you know, so it gets into that attention thing. Yep, totally. 